So we're going to beginning, uh, start to begin our, our message in Malachi, and actually as I read through it, um, I found about four, five, six messages, probably more if we really want to uh, flesh it out a lot, but there's a lot in there. And again, when we begin this, in order to understand the book of Malachi, uh, a person needs to know who it was written to. And it was written to Israel, it was written to the Jews. And it's important, it just seems as of late, I've been uh, reading or hearing different things where as our country has gone through um, some challenges with the uh, political realm, some challenges with these health things that are going on, it seems like a lot of people are trying to imprint uh, the covenant of Israel on the covenant of the U.S., and my views of that are, are, are pretty strong that the covenant that God made with Israel was for Israel. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't glean off of that. It doesn't mean that we don't learn things uh, from those things. All scripture is given, right? That we may learn from those things. But it's also important to know that when we're going through these things that we realize who it was written for and the purpose that it's written for. And then we take away what we can learn from that to apply it. Uh, to our life. Uh, we know that uh, we are going through difficult times in our country and, and our eyes always need to be upon the Lord and what he has for us. So as we look at this, the, the Malachi was a sort of a contemporary uh, prophet, I think of Nehemiah. And this is, book was written uh, somewhere around, I think, 430 B.C. So it, it's, it's an older book, but it's one of the, the last ones, again, of the Old Testament. And there's a lot of stuff that's in there. And, and Malachi has the style that I sort of like, but it, it's really pretty abrasive, or it can be pretty abrasive to a lot of others because um, he's sort of forceful in his prophecy, um, but he's also particular. He, he hits those particulars. And none of us really like our, our toes stepped on, um, yet he does this. Um, the purpose is to confront God's people and the leaders with their sins and plead with them to return to holiness. So even as we went through Haggai, we saw God trying to bring back the Jewish people to give them vision, to give them the right heart to continue to do the work. Now in the world today, we see a lot of people that are, are drifting away from faith. They're drifting away from the church. They're drifting away from reading their Bible. And we become sort of a spiritual nation in sense. And I, and I don't always use that word spiritual in a good sense because sometimes spiritualism can deal a lot with feelings and emotions. But when we really get back to what God wants from us, when we really get back to what God desires from us, we need to really look at the Word of God and say, what are we doing in our life? What is the priority in our life? Where is it that God would have us to be? And so he's pleading with them to return to holiness, to return to righteousness, that God someday is going to judge us. And what are we going to say? Now, I'll be the first to say, coming to church does not make you a Christian. But the church is where Christians come together. So we can come and we can hear the word of God here. Salvation is a personal issue between you and God. When God calls, you make that choice. So coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Some people say, well, i got to get right with God. i got to get back into church. Those are two separate things. God calls his people to come together as a church. 
There's no doubt in the word of God that he instituted the church for a purpose and a reason. And that is for believers to gather, to learn, to edify, to build up one another. Now we may have a lot of excuses why we don't go to church. Why we don't like the church. Maybe we don't like the pastor. Maybe we don't like the music. Maybe we don't like uh, how long it is. Or we don't like how short it is. Maybe there's not a ministry uh, for the ladies. Or there's not a ministry for the youth. We can have all sorts of excuses as to why we don't like church or why we don't go to church. But there's really no excuse. We can try to find all the things in our, in, our, in our life. And that's sort of what Malachi is dealing with here when he's dealing with these individuals. He's dealing with their heart. And he's pointing some particulars out to them. Because these people were fighting God. They were fighting against God. And it's amazing when we look at our life and when we um, really examine ourselves, where we will see that many times we are fighting God. Are you fighting God today? Are there things that he's trying to deal with you in your life that you are fighting with him about? Because really when we go through this, there's really six conversations that God is going to have. And what's sort of unique about Malachi, I think, through this, is you sort of see the dialogue of God through Malachi, where God will say, have you not said and, and have we not heard? And there's this sort of personal thing that goes on through there. And so these people are fighting, and they were really unwilling to trust God. Now we find that when we get in difficult circumstances and difficult situations in our life, we can have some of these same questions. And as we get into the scriptures in just a moment, we're going to see this people that were going through a difficult time, and they were really not feeling loved by God. They were really questioning the love of God. They were really not trusting Him. And they really weren't even willing to listen to it as messenger. Israel had just returned from exile, and um, the nation of Edom was still in, in bondage to the Chaldeans. So this is sort of their history. They had come out of some rough stuff. Sometimes we face this rough stuff in our life. But this passage today, we're just going to read the first five verses today. And it's really um, about God's love. Now, sometimes we think, well, if I do enough good things, God is going to love me. I want to tell you that God loves you in spite of the things that you do. Matter of fact, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not by our good works. It's not by our righteousness that God says, hey, I love you. No, why we were yet sinners, it says that Christ died for us. So really what Malachi is doing here is he's giving us a call to respond to God's love because the Jewish people at this time were not responding to God's love in their life. God had love for the Jewish people. We know that. When we sit back, we look, we say, the Jewish people, Israel is, is a chosen people. And through all these things of history in the Old Testament so far, he has preserved what was really a wicked Israel. They had turned their back on God. And they more than deserved really to be reduced to rubble or to be annihilated. But yet God still loved them. And that's a message that was for Israel, but it's a message that we can apply today because Jesus taught the same things in the New Testament. Even though we have strayed, even though we have done bad things in our life, he still has love for us. He still wants to have that personal relationship with you. Because what righteous things can we do that will, that will bring us you know, to, to God 
um, to us deserving God's love. There's nothing that we can really do. There's nothing that we can really magnetize that into. It's not by our righteous works, but but it's by the love of Christ. And so when he came as God's son, when he came as our payment, he came down knowing that there was going to be those that were going to go against him, knowing that there were those that were going to reject him. There were those that were going to spit upon him. There were those that reviled him. There were those that really tried to derail his ministry, and that's still going on today. You know, as, as we look at history and as we look at, at things, we live in a wonderful land right now. I mean, we have freedoms. We, we can complain about a lot of things in the world today. But we still live in a land where there's a lot of freedoms. But somehow we've, I think, deceived ourselves to think that the U.S. is God's chosen. And we're not. Israel is. We are a place where we built some of our foundations on godly principles. But as is pointed out, nowhere in our Constitution does it say that we're going to honor Christ alone. I mean, this isn't, this isn't the, the godly pivot point of God's work in the world today. But as individuals, he gives us this, this opportunity. More so as Christians, we're almost like the believers that were in Babylon, who went out into a lost world to share the gospel message. And so though we have freedoms and though we have rights and though our country is a wonderful thing, we need to realize that God is at work in our country. But there's nothing that guarantees us those Christian values. There's nothing in our Constitution or in our Bill of Rights or anything that says, you know, Jesus is it. He is the way, the truth, the life. A lot of our founding fathers were Christians, and, and that was great. And there was a lot of that Christian influence. And so that shows us that in our life we could be that Christian influence also. But in the, the absence, really, of, of the sustaining love that the Jews were feeling, we see that uh, Edom's mountains had, had been returned to Rome. So I'm just going to read the first five. It's going to give us a little bit of a snapshot here about the love of God. And so Malachi, again now if you go to Matthew, you just need to go back one book. So I was saying three books before, today we read half of Zechariah, which was two books back, and now we're one book back, Malachi. So New King James Version says this, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste to the mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. We see a little dialogue going on there. People asking, well, we say this. And somebody says, well, you, but I say this. And, and so we see this little argument that begins or this little discussion. It's not for certain when the destruction of Edom took place. Um, the people really in Edom foolishly think that they're going to go against what God has declared. Sometimes we think that in our life. 
See, in the sovereignty of God, it says that he has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. He has a purpose for this church. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for our country. He's going to use all these things to his benefit. He has control. He has control behind everything that is going on. And when we look at God, we begin to understand that. But Edom thinks that they can restore this without God. And so God has this dialogue that says, Edom thinks in their own power, they're going to do this stuff. They may build it back up, but he says, I will cast it down. And it says that Edom would be known as the border of wickedness. Isn't that something? So that's where Esau comes from. The Esau's line were the Edomites, and that's where this is all coming from. So we should praise God, really, that his love was meant to be beyond these borders of Edom. See, Israel had this narrow thought thinking, God only loves us. God's only going to work through us. God can only use us. God only shows his favor to us. But God says something else. He says that it's going to go beyond, it's going to extend beyond the borders of Israel. And that's where we're at today. And that's a wonderful thing, because if God had just said, I'm just going to deal with Israel, we would have no hope. But the borders were opened up. The prophecy in this book deals with a rebuke and a condemnation of how Israel handles things. It describes, as he starts out, can you imagine being a prophet, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now, I know some versions read a little bit different, but it's really this burden to share this. It was a hard message that he was going to share with the people. Which indicates it really wasn't something that the, the prophet takes delight in, in bringing. It wasn't always good news. Sometimes we come to church just to hear good news. We want to hear from God that everything's okay in my life. Everything that I do is fine. I love you regardless. And God does love us. But our sin is not okay. We need to learn to hate those things that God hates. And God hates things in our lives. There are things that I'm sure each and every one of us here today are involved in or have thoughts of or, or participate in or just by our nature that God hates. And God wants us to face those things and God wants us to deal with those things. And so Malachi is really saying, you know, I'm not going to take delight in bringing this, but I will deliver it faithfully. I'm so thankful for prophets in the writers of the word of God that say, I will bring it faithfully. And you need to be thankful for those in the word that, that teach the, the Bible or that pastor or that are leaders in their homes that are faithful to what God's word says. That they will call us in a sin. That they do it out of love. That, that they want to, as the scripture says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the countenance of another. Because God is calling Israel back to holiness. He's calling them back to righteousness. Doing what is right. Why is it so hard for us to do what is right? Why is it so hard for us to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and to put off those other things of the world? It's because we have pride. It's because we have selfishness in our life. It's because we make it all about me. And when we have people that do that in the church, it dysfunctions the church. We have a world that does that all the time. The world is all about that. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. One good turn deserves another. 
there was a testimony at the, the camp I was at last night and the one man that I was talking to said uh, this, this one gentleman had been donated this 40 acres where they were doing their things and he uses it all for ministries. He's a missionary within the states. And he said, I can't tell you how many lives have been changed because of this one humble man. And this guy was here and he was, he was really just pretty meek and mild. And, but he says, this man has changed so many lives. He changed my life. He changed my brothers and my sisters' lives. And he says, if I die and I'm half the man that this man was, I would be satisfied. What a testimony. He said, this man would give you the shirt off of his back and expect nothing in return ever. That's what Christ does for us. That's what he instills in us, that we have that attitude. Not if you give me something, I'll give you something, but I will give it all. And if the Lord is leading, are you following? Are you listening to him? When times are hard, it's difficult to believe that God loves us. When you're going through struggles, you know, it's, it's like Jesus on the cross when he cried out, you know, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? There was that moment where he didn't feel God's presence. But of course, Jesus knew where he was going. He never lost his hope or his, his trust in God. But for us, sometimes when we go through difficult things, we say, where are you, God? Why have you left me? Where are you? But I want to tell you something. God's declaration of love is because of who he is. Not because of who we are. His love for you is because of who He is and not because of who we are or what we are. He loves us because He is God. The love of God has shown for Israel through this and as we continue through the chapters of this ought to really have formed the motive and the model of their love towards Him. But it didn't. As believers today, when we look at what Jesus did for us, that should really form and, and model our love towards Him. And so my question to you today is, is it doing that? Jesus loved you while you were a sinner. He gave His life for you. If you were the only sinner in the world, we've all heard this, right? If I was the only one that ever sinned, He still would have gone to the cross and gave His life for me. We saw that He went out and He helped whoever. He spoke the truth. But he was always willing. And he was willing for you. He was willing for me. And the love that Christ has for us as individuals should be the motive and the model of our love for him and for others. And is it? Is it in your life? And if not, why not? Why not? Are you so absorbed in yourself? Are you so wrapped up in the things that you enjoy that you put Christ on the side? Have you polluted your mind so much with excuses of why not that you can't see why you should? Unfortunately, God's love for Israel, or fortunately, God's love for Israel continued on and he is sharing that through the scriptures today. And it comes really with two proofs that we can read in the scriptures today. His sovereign choice of Israel... He chose Israel. Verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. You say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved. He hath chosen Israel. 
If you have a personal relationship with Christ, if you're a born-again believer, it's not because you've chosen God, it's because He's chosen you. He's put the call to you. Isn't that a great love? While you were a sinner, while you were standing against God, while you were living vile, while your mind was reprobate, God gave you the call. Out of love. He called you. Again, His love is not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And so He shows us that. He shows us the love of, of Israel, and He shows us that love today by His sovereignty. Verses 4 and 5, He also showed it by the sovereignty of His preservation of Israel. So Israel was doing lots of bad things. It would have been easy for God to say, be gone with you. How many of us in our life, and I've heard some of your testimonies, so I know this, how many of your life can, can look back and say, man, I don't know how I ever got to where I'm at today. God spared me. God brought me through it. Even if I wasn't walking with him at the time, even if I wasn't his at the time, he brings us through. He can persevere us. He can preserve us by his love for that day that he has that calling on our life. And they used this name Lord. And that was really the first time it was used was when he made a covenant with God's people. And I know a lot of times in the Bible we use words that we don't always understand, but a covenant is a special agreement between God and people. Okay? So he made this covenant. In the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament is about this covenant with Israel. The New Testament, we can say, is about the covenant with, that we have with Christ, right? We can still learn from this thing, but in this covenant in the Old Testament, God agrees to care for his people. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to watch over you. You're in my hand. But God's people also agreed in this covenant to love and to obey him. And they had fallen short. The one thing about a covenant with God in most cases is that it's not dependent upon the other. God doesn't say, if you love me and if you obey me, then I will bless you. God says, I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to care for you. we got to get that sometimes out of our head, that we think that God is conditional on all the things. We, we raise our kids thinking that sometimes. If you're just a good person, God's going to love you. God loves you even when you're a rotten person. Doesn't mean you're going to heaven. But he has that love for you. For Christ so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. But he came that we might have life. And that everlasting. That's the, the New Testament covenant that we believe. That's why we believe that there is no one so vile that they can't be saved by the blood of Christ. And so verse 2 sort of starts the first of six discussions between God and his people. The first one is, is really this discussion about the love of God. It's the one we're having today. God loves you, and I want you to know that God loves you doesn't mean you're right with him doesn't mean you have a righteous heart doesn't mean that you're holy with him doesn't even mean that you're saved but I want you to know that God loves you 
That's an important thing to know. Secondly, they're going to talk about the honor of God. We'll be talking about that next week. Do we even think about the honor of God? Where is he in your life in that? Third discussion is to be a discussion about people who do not want to do what they promise. And he sort of references marriage there, but how many times have we come to God and we've made a promise? Our salvation prayer many times is that promise, right? Lord, lift me out of the, the, the mire's depth. I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. I don't want any more of this dirty, rotten world. I, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. And we're saved and excited. Pretty soon we're, we're back in the, the muck again. The fourth discussion is about whether God is a fair judge. You ever hear that? That's not fair. We hear that a lot in the world today. This isn't fair. That isn't fair. Is God a fair judge? Fifth discussions can be about people who are sorry because they've done the wrong things. I would say there's a difference between being sorry for something and repenting of something. Some people are sorry because why? They got caught. Right? See that on the news all the time. Some politician does this or that and, and uh, all of a sudden they're up before the camera. Oh, I'm sorry for doing this. See, repentance comes many times when nobody's looking. It's because we're evaluating our relationship with God and we know that there's something between us and God that needs to be dealt with. And so I can go to God in the quietness of my closet, in my quiet time of prayer, in my walk in the woods, wherever it is that you can be, and I can repent of those things whenever they're brought to mind. But that would be the fifth one. People who are sorry because they've done the wrong things. And the sixth discussion that I found is those who say things against God. And so we can see that there's a lot of things that can go on here in Malachi, and it's a good book for that. But here the people did not agree that God loved them. But God says he loved Jacob in the hated Esau, is how I think the King James says, the actual Hebrews says hated. The word really is chosen and not chosen. So he chose Jacob for a reason. He chose Jacob because Jacob's name would be called what? Israel. Right? And what did Jacob's kids become? He had 12 kids. They became the 12 tribes of Israel, right? See, he loved Jacob for the purpose of what was going to transpire. He wasn't going to use Esau or the Edomites. And again, you know, when we think of God, we need to understand that he, he knows the beginning from the end. It's all instantaneous for him, okay? It's hard to even explain. And it took me a long time to even try to wrap my mind around this. But, but time has no factor with God. But we can read about the Edomites, right? It wasn't going to happen. But through Jacob, it was. And Jacob was going to have his name changed to Israel in Genesis um, 30 or 31, 32, somewhere in there. His name was changed to Israel. It became a relationship with God's people. And he says, I, one version that I read, he chose not to love uh, Esau, and that was, he chose not to use Esau for that purpose. And there's a lot more that can go into that of, of God's beginning from the end. 
and knowing all things at all times. But again, it was because they were Edomites. He chose Jacob for his plan. He did not chose Esau. The Bible tells us that God has a plan for us. If he calls us, and we are his, he says, I have a plan for you. If you reject him, he has no plan for you. If you turn your back on God and walk away, he has no plan for you. It doesn't mean that he didn't love you. It means that you have chosen not to receive that gift of salvation that Christ has given. But if you're a believer sitting here today, if you're a born-again believer sitting here today, I want you to know that God has a plan for you. So don't just say, I can walk through life as a believer, doing what I want, when I want to do it, and, and if i got enough time for God, because that's not his plan for you, and your life is going to be miserable in that state. God's plan was to send Jesus to save us from the punishment of our evil deeds. That came through Jacob. We can see God's plan unfolding from the Old Testament into the New Testament, into the new covenant that we have with Jesus. And we know that Jesus' lineage is going to go back to Jacob. So we see God's plan unfolding. Verse 5 is that plan can help everyone, even outside the country called Israel. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the borders of Israel. He came for the Jews and the Gentiles. He came for whosoever. He came for you and me. He came for the drug addict. Or the one that we think, God can never change that life. It's beyond the borders. Even outside the country called Israel. We read a little further that the Lord allowed an enemy to defeat Edom. And Edom is again where Esau ended up residing. The people from Edom moved, I think it was sort of south of Jerusalem. But they were destroyed. If we're not in God's will and if we're not in God's plan, we're going to be destroyed. We're going to spend eternal damnation in hell. In eternity separated from God. Sometimes, you know, we emphasize the fire and the burning and the gnashing of teeth and, and people saying, oh, man, that's terrible. I would say as a believer, the worst thing than that is being separated from God for all eternity. But that's the choice that God gives us. People have chosen for generations not to follow God, not to listen to his voice, not to participate in fellowship, not to worship him corporately or as well as individually. That doesn't bring pleasure to God. God says he wants his people together. He wants his people unified. He wants us grafted in. He wants us working together as a well-oiled machine. Not just for our own benefit, though there's great benefit in that, but for the benefit of the world, because when the world looks at us, what do they see? If they see us fraction, if they see, well, you know, I can, I can just watch, you know, Charles Stanley on, at home on TV, and Charles Stanley is a great preacher. 
Where's the fellowship? Where's the accountability? Where's the intermingling that God had created the church for? Again, some Jews thought that God could only work through their own land. But they would see something different. And when the world looks at a church and sees people coming together as a body of Christ and working together and loving one another and having fellowship, it brings glory to Him. It not only pleases God, but it brings glory to Him. Because the world is out there saying, I'm missing something in my life. And maybe that's it. They can see Christ through us. It says, whatever we do in word or deed, do it all unto the glory of God. Think about that in your actions this week. Think about that in your thoughts this week as you, as you go through this week in, in, in just the daily life things. Is all that you're doing in word and deed bringing glory to God? Are the words that you're speaking bringing glory to God? Are your actions bringing glory to God? Is your helpfulness to others bringing glory to God? Because that's what we're created for, is to bring glory to God. To enter into that relationship with Him and to bring Him glory. You know, sometimes people say, well, what is it that I can give God? God's not interested in, in our riches. I could empty my bank account and say, here, God, what is that to Him? It helps ministries function, but that doesn't bring a, you know, oh, Craig, I'm sure glad that you did that because I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't done that. God is the owner of all, the creator of all. But what he does like, what is a sweet smelling aroma to him is the sacrifices of our life. The offerings that we give through our life, bringing glory to him in the things that we do. Next week they talk a little bit about polluted offerings. I would challenge you to sort of read through your Bible and see what you think an offering is. Because we may have some things to learn about that too. But is your life an offering to God? He gave his life for you. Are you giving your life for him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that you give us. Lord, we pray that we're just not apathetic, Lord, in the things that you died for. We pray, Lord, that we would be a people that are alive and on fire, that our desire is to, to be more like you, to share the message with you. Lord, as I looked last night and, and saw these 30, 40 kids, many of them unchurched, and a few of the adults and parents there that, that didn't know you, yet they were coming together for a function put on by Christians. And somebody that said, well, the purpose was to have the kids have fun or to do this or that. But those who organized had a different purpose. They had a different goal. And that was to share the gospel message. Lord, that needs to be our goal as we go out each and every day, is to share Christ with those around us. It doesn't always need to be words. It's our actions many times. It's the things that 
we don't do as well as the things that we do sometimes do. But Lord, help us to be that example to you. You bless us with each day that we have. Each day that you give us is yours. And may we live it in such a way. So Lord, be with us through this week. May we be challenged by your word, Lord. You love us. You love us. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Lord, help us to realize that. And help us also to love those around us, not because of who they are, but because of who you are in us. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.